We are so glad that you are here with us today. My name is Jennifer, and I am the founder of Moms for Mental Health, along with some other fabulous souls. This morning, we're going to be speaking with Christy Bauman, and she is going to talk to us about God and Grief. A Brave Lament is her book, and I'm really excited to just dig into this space with her, especially coming out of 2020, where so many of us had maybe past griefs that were uncovered once again in just this wide open space. It just seems like a really timely moment to have this conversation with Christy. Christy specializes in working with women's sexual and spiritual well-being. She is a therapist, author, wife, mother, and a survivor of infant loss through stillbirth. Christy exemplifies how one lives more fully into their story and their calling in this wild, wild world. Christy, I'm so glad that you're here with us today. And um, I'm just, I'm just so glad. And really, this just makes my heart happy because um, as a doula, I work with a lot of women that have had previous loss. And I also do encounter loss um, on a fairly regular basis. It's just a part of this journey sometimes. And so um, I'm really glad that we're going to get to hear from you today. Thank you for having me. Listeners, I wish you could see what I'm seeing. I'm looking at three women who obviously love and champion the heart of health. And just the fact that you, I think it's so inspiring. Like I'm sitting here knowing that I have much to bring and yet um, my gratitude for the women who care about what you feel like when no one sees you. And whenever your world is really loud internally and you don't have peace. And so I just think my gratitude for the, um, the women who are working on behalf of each other and each other's well-being. And because that's the world I live in and I'm siloed in a world where, you know, a, a normal day for me counseling is listening to eight or nine women's stories as they're walking through trying to survive the day, the minute the year, um, the, the child, uh, the desire, the marriage that they can't hold on to or make sense of. And to feel like I have, even just right now, to feel like I have advocates who are working and working on women's behalf is just, it, again, holy. It feels really holy. So thank you for having me here. And thank you for the work you do because I do my bones want goodness and want life and want freedom for women. And I think that has come through my own devastation, the own devastation of me having to bury my son. Um, and how, how my story goes is a brave lament was a book and a film that came out of, um, getting pregnant really easily with my husband, like, which is not the story for many. And at 41 weeks, finding out that he didn't have a heartbeat and that he was um, wrapped in my cord four times and was not breathing and that I would have to deliver him breach and bury him. And that is, I mean, the way you want to start motherhood and the way I thought God was going to start motherhood in my story was nothing like this in my mind. I remember preaching a sermon where I said, I really have to confess to you all that I thought I was God's beloved. I thought that because I was his beloved, there was no way he was going to let me lose a child. 
And I didn't even have those words, right? I, I didn't even con- conceive of the thought of losing a child. I was a healthy woman. I didn't have trouble getting pregnant. The pregnancy was normal and fine. And so when I was handed my baby lifeless, when I birthed him, um, breach and I was torn open and, um, my body was broken open and blood and water ran like, I did not understand the invitation to the crucifixion. I didn't understand in that moment that I was actually being invited into the suffering of Christ. And I think it took me four or five years to get to a place where I could come to worship again, where I could come to even learn how to comfort myself after that. And there are obviously still days where I have to talk myself into being present rather than to being in my trauma. And grief became um, a new subject that I became a master in and I didn't want to be. And I, I fought it. I, I fought it. So I, I think I would talk first about the idea of lament. I didn't know that lament was an action, right? Someone says the word that you're lamenting. And I just think, oh, it's in the category of sorrow and grief and tears. And yet lament is an action. It's an action that I realized required my body, required my movement. And I I do believe that women are called and invited to understand the life, death, life cycle. I believe that God created the female body to understand what it means to try to create life, to then birth death, and then understand the rebirth of life. And I think that goes along with the crucifixion, Holy Saturday, and the resurrection. And I I know I'm, I'm like, throwing out these big concepts, but truthfully, I was thrown into holding my boy, not breathing. And my first thought was, Lord, you just want me to have enough faith to pray over him that he'll breathe again. And that's the story. This is your story of resurrection. This is the story of life. And my, my interpretation of God's goodness was wrong. It was deeply flawed. It was actually really simple and it didn't cost anything. I did not understand the journey and the discipline of lament. I didn't understand the action that my body was being asked to birth my grief so that something else could be reborn. For me, it was actually my salvation. Like I didn't come to know God really um, to the level that I knew him after after being saved by my son's death. And I, I, that may sound crazy to you. That might sound just overwhelming, but I was taught a prosperity gospel all my life. And then all of a sudden I am learning how to break the ground and bury. And I'm trying to understand that with a Sunday morning where I'm lifting my hands, those same hands to worship those same hands who held a lifeless body. I mean, it just, it didn't make sense. The Sunday before I birthed brave, our church prayed that I would have a safe delivery and that we would welcome our sweet son into our congregation. The following Sunday, our church met and broke glass and threw dirt and threw rocks and stones as a community to lament 
we, and I, I believe this is the crazy making is that we are not allowed. We're allowed to pray for good things and we're allowed to expect and hope good things, but we're not allowed to lament to the same level that we long for life and goodness. And this was the journey, um, for me. And this was the journey for, for my salvation, actually, um, where I started to believe that I actually was loved by a God who would invite me into the journey of lament and of grief. And it did not move quickly to praise. I was not able to worship. I was not able to sing and I'm a worship leader. So this is hard, right? I really could not sing a worship song for probably a year after my son died. And now I would say eight years later, I worship and I praise to a level that I did not prior to losing him. I needed Jesus's resurrection more after going to my son's grave again and again than I ever knew. And then his resurrection meant so much more to me because of how acquainted I was with death. And I don't want us to live. I I think sometimes mental health comes from the fact that our reality has been neutered in our Christianity and our spirituality And so we're walking around with a mentality that it has to be a certain way. And then when it doesn't line up, there's either something wrong with us. There's shame to be contended with. We don't have the tools to be sad and to grieve well. We don't have the discipline of lamenting. And then we go crazy, more or less. We go crazy because really the the calling, and Jesus shows it in the life of women all the time and in the woman's body, is that for us to engage in creating life, we have to also know how to bury. We also have to understand the death cycle. Like we are birth doulas, but we are also death doulas. And Christ shows us that, that women were the ones that buried him in the tomb, that prepared his body, that wrapped it, that put oils, that cleaned off the blood. Like this is the work of our hands. But if we only talk about the work of creating life, then all those of us who are infertile, who have known death, who have buried, who cannot conceive, all of us are walking around trying to understand what do we do? How do we hide this death that's coming up too, instead of letting it be part of the process? And I think women's bodies know, like I think innately what I had to do, my rite of passage and burying my son was to actually also realize that my body knew what to do, that my weeping and my beating and my calling out and my crying out was part of the process to have and know rebirth and know what it means to resurrection. I actually have an image right um, here in my office of um, a man weeping and he's holding his face and his tears are falling through the cracks of his hands and it's falling onto a potted plant that is growing a new plant. But on the side of the potted plant, it says, I resurrect. And I think Jesus showed us how to resurrect so that we would know the practice of our own resurrection in our life. And I believe um, our children, our bodies, our aging, our marriages, our relationships, um, our sisterhood, are all asking us 
to create and to die and then to create again. I think we are in this cycle of life and that understanding is how do I resurrect after burying? Um, how do I resurrect as mother who is raising three living children um, who also have needs and have longing? How do I resurrect and mother my own inner child that has known trauma and has no longing and I, my own broken body, my own aging body? How do I come to my own reflection and how do I parent her? How do I love her? Um, and yeah, I, I, I learned it through facing what it meant to practice, uh, not only life, not only creating life, but burying death and then creating again. And I am not limiting that to just actual physical births. I think we see that everywhere in the process of adoption. I think we see that everywhere in the process of uh, death, in the process of having to bury having to let go of someone. And then like in, in my own um, losing of my grandmother in her death, something in me, she's resurrected in me in a different way. I now show up on this earth holding her stories and who she is. She comes alive, but I had to grieve her death. I had to love her and lose her and then find a way to find her inside of myself. And so I, I know there's a phrase that God is good all the time. And yet I would say, I don't know that I know that I know that God is parent all the time and how I show up in my parenting and how God has parented me makes me believe that yeah, God is God all the time. God is parent all the time. Do my kids believe I am good all the time? No. Um, I love them and I love them enough to both allow them to know suffering and not keep it from them. And I love them enough to parent myself well. Um, so I, I, when I think about God's goodness, um, I, I think sure C.S. Lewis says God is good, but he's not safe. When he's talking about Aslan and I would say, I, um, God is good, but as the parent, I've known him to be in my own story. God has definitely not always been safe. And sometimes I don't like my parent at all, but I trust that God is a parent that I can come and rail against and I can grieve on and I can beat on his chest when I am not okay. And I can know him in his suffering um, because I would say any mother knows that suffering is a part of motherhood. And the more we try to pretend like it's not, the crazier it makes us. The more we try to whitewash those walls for our children and for ourselves, it actually creates more dissonance in my head. It actually makes me feel more foreign to my body. Rather than trusting that mothering part of me that knows how to hold you when you're weeping, knows how to let you go so that you can learn how to do it on your own. Like that is the work. Um, and to me, that is, that is God's work in me for sure is, um, after a brave died, I learned how to trust God as a parent. 
And I began to learn how to trust myself as a parent. And what it means to parent a child who is not on this earth or who does not let me touch him or see him. It's excruciating work if we're not honest about that. Um, and I believe that God wants mothers to know like him in his suffering and in the excruciating work of parenting. But we have to listen to our bodies and align in our bodies or else I think we'll go crazy. So that's where I find myself when I think about moms for mental health. I think, wow, we as mothers, our bodies are so good. Even in their brokenness, even in their aging, particularly in their longing. And what is the work of rewilding that place? Like, what is the work? Um, Shannon Evans is coming out with a book, Rewilding Motherhood, and it, I've been reading it, um, to endorse it. And I, I've just, it's so true. The act of rewilding ourselves as women, we were women before we loved these attachments. And what is now the work of holding on and loving these attachments, but also loving ourselves and loving a God in the process? Um, so that's where, that's where I find myself. I would love to open it up to any conversations or thoughts or reflections on that. I am oh, just processing it, Christy. Um, you said suffering is a part of motherhood. The more we rail against it, the more crazy we become. And I think that culturally, we are so far from accepting the suffering. So far. And so as a counselor, as a therapist, um, and as a mother yourself, what, what sort of tools do you have in place? to embrace that suffering. We talked a little bit about lament. Is lament how you suffer? Is lament how you suffer? I think, again, um, lament actually has been cathartic and that's a physical part of suffering for me. Like part of my process has been to move my body in lamenting, meaning like to learn to groan. I, I think there's something of ululation, which is culturally a way that people use their vocal cords to grieve, um, also to praise, but all, but to grieve. And so I think part of that process has been learning from other cultures. How do you, how do you lament? And that action, that sound that comes from you that erupts. And I think our bodies, if, even if we look at tears, they excrete toxins and they excrete hormones when we weep. And so the action of both weeping, of groaning, I, I think those lamenting actions have actually been freeing. I'm terrified. I mean, I know these moments when my husband's like, you need to go and write because you are not well. And usually those writing sessions start first by me just weeping and usually groaning. And 
I think that's Holy Spirit work. Like even that idea of, of speaking in tongues, like there's something of that working out our bodies. And I think we're so afraid of our bodies and we've been taught that our bodies are something so different in our Western society. Like our bodies are objects. They're looked at to be beautiful. They're looked at to present something. And yet we're missing out on so many other parts in our bodies that want to grieve bravely and beautifully. Right. And I mean, you brought up even um, earlier when you were writing to me about the midwives um, who are in the Bible and who, who talk about how, they are actually like brave. God sees their action as brave and midwifing as so brave. And I, I think like our passion about life and death, about honoring both is something innate in women's bodies. I think if we actually are honest and let ourselves be freed, we realize that we're not just as passionate about adopting and bringing babies into this world and making them find mothers and parents who love them. I think we are passionate about that and should be, but we are equally as passionate, or at least I found this in my son's death. I was as equally as passionate, though it was excruciating to honor him, to honor this body that I knit in my own body and now had to give back. I I wanted to honor how much he meant. Like I, it didn't matter that he was dead. It didn't matter that he was lifeless. He was still my boy. And it was crazy making for me to pretend like that wasn't true. I want his goodness, even though I have no control over touching him, feeding him, raising him. And that sounds like a wild foreign concept, but my body felt more aligned when I could lament honestly about how much I loved him. I'm not in control. I can't. And that's what makes this crazy, right? Anxiety comes over us when we think we have control. God has control. I don't have control. But I can lament in a way that honors and shows God's love through my own love to where I'm willing to almost look insane to honor him. Because I loved him insanely. Mm. And that to me is the honesty of lamenting. And that is the beauty and the bravery of the midwife and the mother. And the, and the woman who knows a love that makes her crazy when it's taken away from her. But her body is so good to show up in that honestly. I think that's the salvation for us is that lamenting actually brings us to a place that the crazy inside of us honors the love and the depth. And it shows God's love in a way that is not shown through just merely life. It's shown through death. Wow. I'm sitting here and, um, what comes to mind for me is I didn't learn how to lament until I was diagnosed with cancer almost four years ago. Mm-hmm. And it, and I just found it's so fascinating to me that it, we're wired. We are, we're, we're so wholly wired to lament, um, to weep and to groan. And the most whole that I've ever felt was when I wept and I groaned over this experience that I didn't ask for. 
And I was fully in my body. I think that that is, that's definitely, Mm. it's definitely something that we miss out on sometimes of experience, like fully experiencing what we're experiencing. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a couple of other questions that I, I wrote down. What did lament look like to you before brave was born? You know, I would say, um, it was, it was not as breathtaking. Um, I, again, I had some, like I have grief. I had, um, parents who got a divorce. I had, you know, broken hearts. Like I had those things in my story. I have siblings who are addicts and, um, just the work of, um, interventions and addiction and what that, how that severs relationship. Like that was all part of my story, but I had never held death so closely and intimately and at such a close amount of time. And so lament maybe looked like, um, I was thinking Nicholas Wolstersorf wrote a book lament for a son. And I remember hearing him speak three years before I lost brave. So I didn't even know at that time that I was going to ever lose a child or, you know, any part of that. And I remember listening to him talk about his lament for losing his son and, and, and his book and reading his book and being like, wow, that's so sad. And also hoping, please don't ever let that happen to me. Right. That, that like, it wasn't personal yet. It wasn't personal. I think, as you mentioned with cancer until it, comes into your body until it's until it's something that's yours that you love deeply till it's your marriage until it's your friendship that's being lost until it's your child till it's your body that can't conceive like I, I don't know I, I I think lament wasn't the same it was something people talked about and I hoped it passed me by hmm. I think we all hope that before it happens I think that the invitation to into death, <clears throat> excuse me, the invitation into death, um, your book, Theology of the Womb, really, we really touched upon that because, I mean, the whole menstrual cycle, uh, how our wombs function is life and death month after month after month. But again, the Western culture has separated us so much from even owning that space. What would you say to someone that is being invited into death, into what I don't even know if acceptance is the right word, but into the space that death occupies, whether that is an old space or a new space? That your body was perfectly created to grieve. That's what I would tell that person is that it's not something that actually has to be um, given to you. It's not a gift. It's when you were created, you understood through, I mean, through the birth process, like you understood pain and your body was able to handle it. And so if you would push into that and trust your body, I do think this is the work of embodiment. I think so much of our society has taught us to objectify ourselves and to separate ourselves. And we can even look at research out of New Zealand that's saying that it is 
the objectification of women is taking seven to 10 years off their, of life, off of their lives. So women are dying seven to 10 years earlier, either because of an illness that comes out of their stress and their cortisol level. But whenever we see ourselves as objects and we don't see ourselves as the image of God and we don't trust that our grief is part of our glory, we see that women are actually getting sick by holding in their true selves, what their bodies feel like we were made to be fully embodied. That's just the creatures we are. And you're right. Our menstrual cycle shows us that the lifespan of our uterus shows us that even if we never have children, the fact that we bleed shows that our bodies were created. They they were embodied bodies and they are able to birth death and then to be ready to create life again. It's, it's absolutely mind blowing that if we actually trusted the bodies we were given, they were made to grieve just as equally as they were made to create. And I think we're just afraid of that. We're afraid of the pain of the grief. And yet if we try to push it away and we try to resist ourselves from it, it actually makes everything harder. It makes the birth harder. It makes all of it harder. But if we trust our bodies, grief actually comes naturally. Thank you, Christy. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> We're going to wrap up today um, for Moms for Mental Health. I'm so, gosh, I have so many takeaways, so many. And I think the biggest one is that we're made to grieve. Yeah. We're made to grieve. Thank yeah. you.